Just by quick review, um, last week we did an overview of Deuteronomy and, and where we are is the, the people are on the border of the promised land getting ready to go in to cross over and to take possession of that land. Um, that is not as simple as just marching across the border. Um, we know that there are going to be conflicts with, with the people who are there, but, but God has promised to um, reward his people and to give them the land, actually graciously give it to them. So in, in Deuteronomy, then Moses is giving his final instructions to the people before they cross over, and he has been leading them for about 40 years. And he is not going with them. So, so that all plays into uh, what is happening. Moses is about to die. So, so Deuteronomy is mostly about three messages that Moses gives to the people. That Moses delivers to the people of Israel. It has um, four main parts. So the main parts of the book are these. And again, the bulk of that is these first three messages. Moses' first message, which is um, kind of a, a recapping um, or summarizing what has happened for the past 40 years. Um, in the first four chapters of, of Deuteronomy, and then two more messages, um, and then Moses' song and, and his Death. So that's a simplified graphic of, of what this is. Really, though, it kind of captures what it is. And then last week, um, Deuteronomy has its own introduction. And so in the first five verses, we covered those. So um, they give, like, the setting for these speeches, where they take place um, for these messages. Uh, probably more than one location, but just but all along the border getting ready to go into the land of Canaan, and as you will remember, it should have only taken them 11 days from the time they left Mount Sinai, which Deuteronomy calls Horeb, uh, from the time they less left Mount Sinai to be to the border where they are now at 39 years and 10 months from the time that they left Egypt. So... Moses then uh, is bringing these messages to the whole congregation of the people of Israel. That's the way it says. And he's, and he's giving them what the Lord has commanded him for them, what, what the Lord wants them to know. So Moses is delivering that message to them. So uh, we finished with verse 5, and this is verse 5 from last week. Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab... Moses undertook to explain this law saying. So just a couple of points. Um, beyond the Jordan, that means on the east side of the Jordan River, uh, in the plains or in the land of Moab. So this is where, you guys know the story of Balaam and the donkey, uh, where Balak hires Balaam to come and curse Israel. So when he gets a view of all the people, this is where they are. Um, where he ends up blessing them and turning that curse into, the Lord turns that curse into a blessing. 
So this little phrase here, this little thing here, it says where Moses undertook to explain this law. Moses undertook. Another way to translate that, which, which um, would make a lot of sense here. Moses was determined. Think about what he's doing. He's been leading these people. Moses was determined, based on his responsibility, to expound or to explain God's instruction or the Lord's instruction, the Torah, um, that we have translated the law. But it means to it means instruction. Um, and so Moses was, in essence, expounding. So that is to explain or to teach or to preach, kind of like Pastor Randy does on Sunday mornings. That's what Moses is doing here, expounding the law, expounding the Torah. And so Moses is, we know he's a leader, we know he's a prophet, we know he's a priest. He's also a pastor. Uh, and that's what he's doing here in, in Deuteronomy, is explaining, expounding the things that they already know, really. Much of what, they have, what, much, much of what he delivers, they already know. But he's doing it, providing it as you're going into this land and this is, this is what you need to remember and this is what you need to know. So that's where we left off. Um, and notice how verse 5 ends though. Moses undertook to explain this law saying. So the next verse starts his first message which runs through chapter 4 verse 40, but this is where we're going to begin. So this is part of, like as I mentioned, Moses' first message, um, and so let's get started. So beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses was determined to explain this instruction, saying, so this is what Deuteronomy is, this is what Deuteronomy is about. Moses is doing this. So this morning, as we were coming into church, greeting people, you know how how sometimes sometimes people say, you know, good morning, how are you, what do you know? Um, so when I greeted Jerry Jerry Miller uh, this morning, he did not disappoint. He greets me the way he usually does. He said, "What do you know for sure?" A little bit different way to say it. A little bit interesting way to say it. So really, Moses could be saying that as he starts off this message tonight. What do we know for sure? So that's what Moses is doing by recounting some of the things that have happened in the past. He wants to tell them things that they can know for sure, that they can bank on, that they can base their mission on, the use as their foundation. What do we know for sure? What have we learned? Don't forget, they were at a place to enter the land before, and they were a miserable failure. So, what have we learned? 
What have we learned about that? So that we don't do it again. Because you know the, the old axiom. Those who don't study history are bound to repeat it. So that's what Moses is doing here. He's letting them know, or he's, he's telling them, asking them, and talking with them about what do we know for sure. And here's one of the things we know for sure. The Lord keeps his promises. So that's going to be in verses 7 through 11. We'll talk about that. Secondly, we know that we are heavy. Um, one thing about grandkids is you have built-in sermon illustrations. Um, I have, and you know how it's really, really cute when you say to a kid, oh, he's a chunk, he's, he's heavy. Well, not long ago, Tresson, my the middle grandchild, came up to his dad and said, Dad, Grandpa's heavy. Um, you know, kids have a little different context than we do, but didn't realize that might not be a compliment. Well, it's not here either. So, and thirdly, that the Lord provides. The Lord provides. So those are the three things that we know for sure, and, and Moses is going to illustrate those with, with things that have already happened. So, here we go. Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses was determined to explain this instruction, saying, The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. So this is the start of the message. And again, Horeb is the same as Sinai. Uh, It's the same place. Horeb actually means like wasteland. So they had been there about a year, a little bit less than a year. They'd been at Horeb. Um, And so God says, that's long enough. Um, They'd been there. This is the place where the Lord delivers the Ten Commandments. This is the place where he gives a bunch of other instructions. He appears to um, Moses. Uh, Moses goes up on the mountain to meet him. So this is the place. They've been there a year. They built the tabernacle, and he said, you've been here long enough. So then I'm going to include the beginning of the next verse. Turn... And take your journey and go. So that's the way that the ESV translates it, and most take it something like that. Um, you could also take this little phrase, if you're going to do it really literally, um, which I'd like to do because it, it connects him back to Abraham, connects this back to Abraham uh, leaving um, uh, Ur of the Chaldeans. But turn and take your journey. So take your journey could also be translated, set out for yourself. Set out for yourself. So, there comes a time when you've been somewhere long enough, and the Lord says, it's time for you to go. It's time for you to Set out. So there just comes a time when it's time for you to leave, to turn, to set out for yourself, and to go. And so as you're preparing this and you see those words in a row, you can't help but thinking of um, parents getting ready to send their kids off. 
Um, That's not what's going on here. Well, it kind of is. This is the next generation. Uh, They've already been here before. Uh, The other generation is dying out. Most of these kids weren't even born yet, the ones that are here now. But, you know, and so how that goes, so so that made me, as I was preparing, think of, think of, I I could think of one thing. Up. The movie Up. <laughs> How many have seen that? How many know what that is? I figured that'd be about half, but we might we might be slightly over halves. Well, so why Up? Well, Up came out on May 29th, 2009. Um... My younger son, Alex, our younger son, Alex, had just graduated from high school and was getting ready to go into the Army. He wasn't out. He wasn't out a month when he went. So we went to this movie with him. So it had to be like within a week or so of when he left for um, the Army and, and within a couple of weeks of when he graduated from high school. But there was one certain line in there that I, that I kind of remembered. I didn't remember exactly what it was, but it made me think of this movie, and I just couldn't come up with it. And, and so I looked. I, supposedly, you can find everything online. Right? So I looked up quotes from Up and came up with this thing that said, 52 adorable quotes from Up. So I started reading through them. You guys know what, what any of them are? The number one is squirrel, which is when anybody ever gets distracted, you can quote that to him like a dog minding his own business, doing something, and then all of a sudden sees a squirrel and just gets completely sidetracked. I've, do, I've done that before. I've used that before. But anyway, all 52 of those quotes, the one I was looking for, wasn't in there. Uh, and so my assignment at 10.30 last night was to watch up. Um, and I did. Um, I, I rewatched it. You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and set out for yourself and go. So, so Up is about a shy kid named Carl, a little kid named Carl, who comes across this really outgoing person, a um, little girl named, named Ellie. She's really adventurous. She's bold. Um, Anyway, they become friends somehow because she makes it happen, basically. Uh, And at some point, she shares this little thing called My Adventure Book with Carl. And she's never shown it to anybody else, ever. It's kind of their secret, their special treasure. And it is her adventure book is how she is going to eventually get to Paradise Falls in South America. So it's got a bunch of little things, pictures in there, and then it, at some point it comes to this place in the in a little scrapbook that she's got, and it says, things, stuff I'm going to do. And then everything after that is blank. All the pages are blank. So she says to, to, to Carl, I'm saving these pages for the adventures that I'm going to have. 
So, and then, and then Ellie continues to talk to Carl and says, I just don't know how I'm going to get to Paradise Falls. And Carl doesn't know what to do. He looks up at the ceiling. There's a blimp up there. And she said, there it is. You're going to take me to, you're going to take me there. You're going to take me there in a blimp. Cross your heart. Cross it. <laughs> there, you crossed it. You can't back out. Something like that. She says something like that. Well, they grow up. They get married. Um, they start saving to go to Paradise Falls. But you know how life is. Something always comes up. They have to break into their savings. They never get there. Uh, they live a good, kind of a sweet, but a boring life. Um, they get to um, a little bit later in life, and, and Ellie gets sick, and pretty soon she dies. Uh, and never made it to Paradise Falls, and, and, and Carl becomes a grumpy old man. Because he's so disappointed in himself, he's such a failure that he never got there. So once in a while, he'll look at the book, my adventure book, Ellie's my adventure book, and he gets to that page, says, stuff I'm going to do. And he realizes, boy, I really let her down, so he can't ever, he can't ever get past that. He closes his book and, and, and goes. Well, eventually, of course, this is a movie, so, so Carl gets to Paradise Falls. Um, and at the end of it, he's there. He looks at the book, and he's been doing this for years you know, not feeling like a failure. He's lost. And he comes to, he opens the book one more time. He comes to that page. He's going to close the book. Things I'm gonna, things, stuff I'm going to do. Close it, getting ready to close the book. And he accidentally moves the page enough to see that there's something after that page. And it is that, that Ellie all along has been uh, taking pictures and putting them in that book of their adventure. And so, on the last page, it says, Thanks for the adventure. Now go have a new one. Love, Ellie. Well, that's the line I was looking for <laughs> with my son, Alex. Um, thanks for the adventure. Now go have a new one. All that to say that there is a time when the Lord says, long enough. Turn and set out for yourself and go. So this is, this is what Moses is telling the people. This is going to be, it is going to be an adventure, but it isn't going to be an easy adventure. Moses is telling the people that when they were at, he's telling them this when they were at Horeb. So he was actually telling them this, the Lord was telling them this 38 to 39 years ago. You've been long enough at this mountain. It's time to set out and go. Um, most of the people here, as I mentioned, were not even born yet when this happened. So, why is Mo 
Moses doing this? Why is he telling them this? So that they can know for sure. So that they will have something to base their mission on. So that they will be able to to think about what they've learned and what they learned from 38 and a half years ago, 39 years ago. And so they don't repeat history. As the next generation now is about to set out, Moses wants to remind them of these things. So what does he want to remind them of? What do we know for sure? The Lord keeps his promises. So let's read all of verse 7. So this was after the, you've been here long enough. Turn and take your journey or turn and set out for yourself and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negev and in the seacoast, at the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. So some of you might turn to your um, maps in the back of your Bibles, and I'm just going to tell you, you're going to be disappointed to try to figure out where these places are. So um, I did find a pretty good map um, in uh, commentary by Tigay. Uh, here it is. It's not really big, but this, that this is a map of that time, and it tells you where all of those all of the things are. So, I'll turn around and look. We are the hill country of the Amorites. Right there, right? All their neighbors in the Arabah. That doesn't really show us that. This area and this area. Basic, basically, the plain of the Jordan um, River is where that is, above and below the Sea of Galilee. In the hill country, well, that's, that's any of the high ground. In the low land, which is, this is what you're seeing here, it's called Shvela. Um, it is kind of the foothills. Um, and in the Negev, this little strip of land in the south, you can see it right here. That's the Negev, the sea coast. You can guess where that is by the Mediterranean Sea. It's on there too. And all of these things, all of those things combined are a summary of the next few words. The land of the Canaanites. So that's, that's Canaan. That's the land of Canaan. And the Lebanon, which is probably part of Lebanon, maybe the part close to the, the sea, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, I had to cut that off. It's way up north um, because this would have gotten really small and you wouldn't be able to see it at all. But it's farther north than, than we would think. So it's clear up in Syria, basically. And it's probably a strip of land along the Mediterranean like that. So let's move on to verse 8. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord... That, Yahweh, I changed it to Yahweh, swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them and to their offspring after them. I just changed the ESVs um, to, um, to Yahweh for a very specific reason. So uh, if you think back to the promises made, by, made to Abraham by 
by God. And you think back to the book of Genesis. I know that I brought this up in Genesis a lot. I brought it up in Exodus once in a while. And that is exactly two times in Genesis the Lord says, I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh. Both of those times, the main point is the promise about the land, followed by the promise of, or also including, the promise to to multiply the offspring. Um, So Genesis 15, um, 1 to 7, is a good example. So, again, this only happens twice in Genesis where the Lord says, I am the Lord. In In all of Genesis, it only happens twice. Both times, dealing with the same thing. I'm just going to start reading in Genesis 15 verse, well I'll read um, um, verse, let's see, I'm going to read the I am Yahweh verse. Okay, so I'll read verses 5 and 6. And this is now what God did. And he brought him outside, that's he brought, and the Lord brought Abraham, Abram outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said, So shall your descendants so, or your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Next verse. And he said to him, I am Yahweh who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. For the purpose of giving you this land. So there's the promise, the first one. The Lord does the same thing with Jacob later, with the same thing, introducing it the same way, I am Yahweh. The promise about the land, the promise about the descendants. And that is the description of what we have here. How that, what that land promise was to, to Abraham. Um, it is repeated in Exodus that the Lord has, is, when he, say, he announces himself, I am Yahweh, and says, and I'm going to take you from Egypt, basically, and take you to this same land. So, it's, it's a big deal that this is made as a promise of Yahweh when he announces who he is. In other words, this is, this is what I am going to do for you. It's the only time like that he announces himself. So, how do we know for sure from, all, from these promises Um, that God will keep his promise, or from this promise that God keeps his promise. After all, they're on the border of the promised land. It's 40 years after they've come out of Egypt. You might say, well, how does this help me, this promise from Abraham, from Isaac to Jacob? We've been in Egypt for more than 400 years. It's probably been at least 500 years since you made this promise to Abraham, Are you sure we can count on this promise? How do we know that we can count on this promise? Well, how do we know this for sure? If the Lord is fulfilling promises, it's been over 500 years, 
He's at least really slow about doing that. We recognize that from the New Testament, right? He's not slow. So how do we know for sure? Well, the next verses tell us. At that time I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. Did that sound familiar? Back to Genesis 15, 5, 6, 7. That's how you know, because God has fulfilled this part of the promise. To multiply you like the stars of heaven. It even uses the same words, right? It's the same basic words. And that's how you are today. So you know that you can count on God's promises, that he is going to do that. You can know for sure that he keeps his promises. Against all odds, you guys are now like the stars of heaven. You were 70 people when you went down into Egypt. Now you're 3 million That's a common number used for the people of Israel. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. So that's Moses interjecting that, encouraging them that we, yeah, you're like this. You're you're like the stars of the heaven, but may the Lord do that a thousand times more. A thousand times more. And as we look back from where we are, we can see that he's done that. He has made that a thousand times more. Because it's not all who are physically descended from Abraham, our children of Abraham. It's those who are of faith. And so we're included in that thousand times more. And so we can know that God is going to keep his promise. So what else can we know for sure? Well, we are heavy. Well, that does seem like a funny thing to say here. Um, I was going to use a phrase that, that Moses might, well, he did use kind of. You are heavy. But he didn't add this part. And you're my brother. He's not heavy, he's my brother. You are heavy, you are my brothers. Moses might have phased it that, put it that way. Verse 12. How can I bear you by myself, the weight and the burden of you and your strife? Obviously, the heaviness of the people here has to do with how many of them there were. There were three, probably three million of them. Um, and... And so he's by himself, and he, he has to deal with 300 or 3 million people, as numerous as the stars of heaven. That is a lot. How can I bear by myself the weight and the burden of you? But, but Moses has more than that in mind, more than just the sheer number of people. How can I bear you by myself the weight and the burden of you and your strife? 
Well, if we've been paying any attention in, in Exodus, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy, we know what that's about, right? Continual disputing, quarreling. Um, Tige, who I, I had the map from earlier, translates this word bickering. How can I bear by myself the weight and the burden of you, your bickering? So three million people carrying them by yourself is hard. Three million bickering people would be unbearable. Um, So when you think of bickering, what do you think of? I mean, we can, we can put up with a lot of things, right? We can, but two kids bickering, or worse, two adults bickering. Who could bear that? Who could bear with that? And he's got three million of them. So there are probably numerous ways that we can be burdens to other. But I think this really actually, as we, as we read this, calls for us to do some self-examination. And I know it does me. How am I a burden to other people? How am I a burden? How do I weigh down my brothers and my sisters in Christ? let alone the load of our sin that we have to bear, that we bear. Nobody else can bear that for us except for with one exception, Jesus Christ. We know that. If we're Christians, we know that. If you don't have faith in Christ, you know it too. You just try to hide from it, that that sin that you're carrying around is a terrible burden. So if you don't have faith in Christ Just know that Jesus Christ can carry that burden. He's done it before. He's done it millions of times, more than three million times. He has borne the burden of sin for his people. Our sorrow is he carried. The Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And he can carry it. So if you want to talk about that sometime, if you haven't experienced that, Jesus carrying that burden away, be happy to do that. He does it for more people than the three million that are in that were in Israel. So what do we know for sure? We know that the Lord Provides. We're not going to be able to go into a lot of detail on this, but, but this is uh, this section coming up. The, Moses could have gone to any number of things about how the Lord has provided for them and as they get ready to go into the promised land. The Lord has him select this one, um, and it is probably because it's going to have ongoing relevance as they go in. Um, they have, this is, Just think of the ways that the Lord has provided for them over the last 40 years. Manna, right? Manna from heaven. There you go. Could have used that one. Um, Water from a rock. Could have used that one. But the Lord wants him to to use, hey, I provided leaders for you guys. 
That's what this is about. So you remember the story from Exodus. Most of you are familiar with it probably of of Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, coming to him, um, seeing him as he sits with all the people standing around him because he's the only one doing this. And and his father-in-law asks him and says, what are you doing sitting here with all the people standing around you? And he says something. I'm going to paraphrase. Um, well, uh, these people have problems, uh, and I fix them. First of all, I, I, I let them know what the, what the Lord has for them. I let them know his words. I tell them his words. And if somebody's got a dispute, I solve it. That's, that's what I do. So people need to know the word of God. And his father-in-law answer, answers back and says, What you are doing is not good. Um, and then he says why it is. And as, as you th- think, going back to the question about being a burden. Because he says this. He says, if you keep doing this, you're going to wear yourself out. And the other people, and the people. You trying to carry this by yourself is going to wear the people out. So now think about what kind of a burden we have. Um, things like that. Moses trying to carry it all, the burden himself, can wear everybody else out. So, that is the first... Um, so the, these, these, there are two accounts here of the same thing. It's in Exodus, it's in Deuteronomy. There are some slight little variations that people make a big deal out of. I really don't think it's that hard to figure out why they're there and and to make them mesh up. First of all, the one is a lot longer. Um, The Exodus passage is 14 verses long. The Deuteronomy passage is six verses long, so... If you take out the part that I just spoke, spoke about with, with Moses' father-in-law, because that's not in Deuteronomy, they're both six verses long. Um, comparable things, um, phrased a little bit different way, not incompatible at all. So we'll just go with the Deuteronomy explanation here. Right? Remember that what Moses is doing, he's letting them know what they need to know when they go into the land, and they've already been living under this for many years. So they know it's in place, what they're living under. So, here we go. That the Lord provides. He provides the leaders for them. Choose from, for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men. A little bit different definition of the kind of men we're looking for from Exodus. And I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, and commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes 
And I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. And you shall not be partial in judgment. You shall not, or you shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. In the case that is too hard for you, ye shall bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. So that's what he did. All this happened at Mount Horeb. Before, right before the Lord said, you've been here long enough. It's time to go. And they went. And they failed miserably. And so that is why Moses is telling them about specific things as they are ready to enter the promised land. And one of the important ones is how he has provided leaders for them and how the, what kind of people those leaders are supposed to be. Um, we could go into a lot, but... Talk about this, but you know that there are qualifications for, for example, elders and overseers in the New Testament. Well, people who are um, Old Testament scholars would tell you what, what Paul's doing when he gives us those lists of qualifications for elders and overseers is doing what Moses was doing, he's expounding Exodus. He's expounding Deuteronomy. Paul is taking the same principles that are found in Exodus and in Deuteronomy and bringing them into, um, for example, 1 Timothy 3, where he's giving instructions to the church on what kind of people are supposed to be, you are supposed to be looking for to lead your church. And it's a plurality of them. It's, it's many of them, depending on the size of the, the group. In, in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, you had leaders or commanders of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. Leaders, levels of leadership uh, that are needed for... Um, the people of God to function well. And the Lord provides that. So let's let's close um, in prayer and our final hymn. Father, we thank you that um, you have given us eternal principles uh, from 3,500 years ago as Moses was shepherding his people that you put him in charge of as they prepared to uh, enter the promised land. We pray that you would give us wisdom to uh, see those principles and to put them into action in our hearts, uh, in our fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.